This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, guys. Today, we've got a return guest on the podcast. His name is Rory the Red King McDonald. So Rory is an MMA fighter that has fought for the UFC. Bellator, King of the Cajun, is now fighting in the Professional Fighters League, otherwise known as the PFL. He's also the former Bellator welterweight champion. His MMA record is 22-8-1, and and also he's an outspoken Christian. So if you go back to episode 131 of this podcast, that's when he and I spoke for the first time on this show. Uh, We've remained friends, and, you know, we talk here and there, you know, since then. But being an outspoken Christian is very interesting for him because he hasn't been a Christian his entire life. And so go back to that episode. It will be in the show notes so you can check that out. But this interview was a lot of fun because we talk about the PFL. And again, the PFL is a little bit different than the UFC or Bellator or anything like that. They do kind of a season format. So some of the things that he refers to is going to seem a little different if you're just kind of a casual MMA fan. But we talk about how he had a little bit of a disappointing start to his PFL career. He didn't win the PFL championship last year. He lost to the eventual champion. He, you know, we talked about some of the adjustments that he's going to be making and that he has made. He's got kind of a new training camp, a new training regiment. He's back with John Donaher, who's one of the best minds in all of mixed martial arts, you know, specifically with grappling. But we get into a lot of stuff on this this podcast. We talk about fighter pay, you know, how it's different in the, the PFL than versus the UFC or Bellator. We talk about Kayla Harrison. We talk about, you know, MMA fighters going over and trying their hand at boxing and doing that type of thing. That We talk about him fighting as a Christian again. We talk about Cain Velasquez. I give him some fantasy MMA matchups like, hey, this guy in their prime versus that guy in their prime. But I just got to tell you, one of the best things from this interview is also one of the similar subjects that was the best thing from the last interview. Because in the last interview, whenever we spoke, we talked a lot about his rematch against Robbie Lawler at UFC 189. And kind of what that was like, it's still, in my opinion, the greatest welterweight fight of all time. It's a top three fight for me ever. Just an incredible fight, but it is a fight that he lost. He got finished in the last round of that fight and got, you know, beat up pretty good, you know, had some serious uh, facial damage and things like that. But he told me a story from one of his fights with Robbie Lawler because he's like, hey, Robbie's just, you know, he's a different animal. He's a different type of guy. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Like, help me understand that. And he told a story that I thought was incredible. Like, I don't, I've never heard him say that before. I'm pretty sure he's never said that on an interview. So make sure you guys stick around for that. So I think I've teed it up pretty well up to this point. So I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So guys, without further ado, let's get into it. Rory McDonald, welcome back to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're you're a requested return guest, but it's been a very, very long time since you've been on here. So we got a lot of ground to cover. But uh, the last time we talked, you had signed with the Professional Fighters League, the PFL, but you had not yet fought for them. So the 2022 regular season just kicked off, guys, if you're listening to this on time. On April 20th, the lightweights and the light heavyweights got after it, and then the featherweights and the heavy heavyweights on April the 28th. And if you're listening to this on time, this Friday, May the 6th on ESPN Plus and ESPN2, they're kicking off the women's lightweight division and your division, the welterweight division. But before we get into your opening round matchup and your opponent for this year, we need to talk about last year. So you, I'm sure, would be the first one to say that you're not you know, completely happy with how last season turned out. You won your first fight in very dominant fashion. You uh, rear naked choked uh, Curtis Melinder in the first round. Then you lost your next two fights. Uh, you lost a... <clears throat> 
unbelievable split decision to Gleason Tebow. Like it was unbelievable. I, I, I was absolutely shocked that you lost that fight, but you did not get the decision. And then you lost a fairly lopsided unanimous decision to the eventual 2021 welterweight champion, Ray Cooper, the third. So in your first year in a new organization, you go one and two. So tell me about how you feel about how the 2021 season went and any adjustments maybe you want to make coming into this season. Yeah, definitely didn't. It was definitely not what I expected going yeah. in. First fight was good. Um, second fight was, I mean, I, I felt like I dominated the fight, but didn't get the decision. But that's uh, not my first rodeo with those, so that happens. Uh, still made it to the playoffs for the points and everything, and then uh, I fought Ray, and I just didn't have, didn't uh, have the best night, so. You know, I, I took some time and recalibrated and uh, made some changes and uh, I feel very good. I feel at my best going into this season. So I'm very confident that this year uh, I'm going to walk away with the championship. Well, before we get into some of the changes that you made, to, to go back to the fight uh, against Ray Cooper the third, I guess some people are like, okay, if I'm going to lose to somebody, I'd like to lose the eventual champion. Whereas other people are like, no, screw that guy forever. I hate him. I want to kill him. But that was a fight that was very one-sided, but there was not a whole lot of damage done. You know, you, you didn't really get hurt. Uh, you and I actually talked before that fight. Uh, you, something that you would have liked to have been able to use would have been elbows. That could have been a difference maker in that fight, but you can't use elbows in the PFL because you have to fight so many times in such a short period. You don't want to have to deal with any cut issues. At least that's my understanding of the rule set. But I was shocked whenever I saw you get taken down and just uh, you you were on your back for a lot of the fight because Ray Cooper comes from a wrestling background, but not like a crazy wrestling background. So kind of walk me through what what you were thinking the, in the fight, like what was the game plan? And then you kind of what happened in there that made it not really be able to happen for you? Uh, yeah, just I don't like to really make excuses on things in the past. Fair enough. So I'm going to skip over any <laughs> any of that. Um you know, Ray, Ray uh, came in and he, he used his wrestling. Um, I wanted to use my wrestling. I just uh, wasn't able to go out there and do it. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it wasn't my night. Right. So, you know, next year's a, it's going to be a, a new version. And hopefully I'll get to match up again uh, with him so I can, you know, have a better showing. Right. So in other words, Kyle, shut up. The past is in the past. I get it. I get it. So let's let's move on. Um, so let's talk about some of the adjustments that you made. So if people follow you on social media, which they should. You can check it out in the show notes if you don't know how to just search someone's name. But it seems like, you know, you've got a bit of a new camp, uh, a bit of a new training regiment. You brought back some old familiar faces or at least you're around some familiar faces like a John Donaher type guy. I've seen you in the same picture with George St. Pierre and with, uh, you know, some other great dudes, Gordon Ryan and, and, and Tim Kennedy and that type of thing. So go through some of the changes that you've made to kind of make some adjustments going into 2022 yeah so all of last year 2021 i was in florida and um i was training uh, with the sanford mma team mm -hmm. and uh i really enjoyed the training loved the guys uh it was a great group um florida wasn't a great fit for me personally um anyway before going to florida um i had an idea in my head well, right around, right just before COVID hit, I was planning on traveling around the U.S. and finding some different training um, 
And one place that really stuck out to me was uh, Austin, Texas, uh, where Tim Kennedy was. I wanted to go check out what he was doing. Um, I liked, uh, you know, I like his attitude. I love, you know, his his fighting and uh, his training, his philosophy on things. And I wanted to see what was happening there. And it just so happened uh, because of COVID, I wasn't able to go there. Um, uh, so I ended up going to Florida um, because I, I had went there on a vacation right before COVID hit. And I was like, you know, it's a place I know. And um, I got to get out of Canada. Well, I, I still could because yeah. of the border thing. So anyway, we went down there and we did our year there. But um, anyway, once the border situation cleared up, my season at, um, for PFL ended, I wanted to go and try out Texas and see what it was about. You know, there was some off time between fights and a little bit easier to get through the border situation here in Canada. And uh, I just fell in love with the the whole thing. And um, because of COVID, uh, John Donaher, Gordon Ryan, all those guys that I've trained with in the past from New York had moved um, there just like a few months before that. So it really all worked out. Um, you know, I love training with John and those guys for my jiu-jitsu and MMA. And then, you know, me and Tim and, and the crew there really clicked. And it's just been great. I feel like my training's been awesome. I've been enjoying my training. I've been um, getting be- better physically. And, uh, you know, skill-wise, I feel like yeah, leaps and bounds. So uh, I'm happy, you know, and I feel like that's a big uh, – big part of it, you know, finding a camp where it feels like the shoe fits, you know, and that's what I feel like I found there in Texas. And so are you uh, just training in Texas? Are you there full time? Have you moved down there? Are you still like based out of Canada? What does that look like? Yeah. So I'm just doing like a week in Montreal and a week in Texas. And I've been doing that for quite a while now and uh, just been going back and forth. Um, so it's, it's been working out really well. Sounds good. Well, I, I look forward to getting down there. That's not too far from me. So I'll go down there and let you guys use me as a punching bag. Uh, and maybe talk to me a little bit about uh, Donaher and, you know, the guys that kind of follow him. Yeah, I know the Donaher death squad is kind of broken up and all that, but he's still there with Gordon Ryan. Talk about that crew because, I mean, you see guys that are, you know, with John Donaher or directly affiliated, they're going in. There's there's a kid just this last week, and I, I can't remember his name because I had I'd never heard of him before. He's been training 18 months. And he went in and won the ADCC trials and, you know, subbed everybody. He was subbing guys that were, had been black belts for over a decade. What is it about John Donaher and how he breaks down specifically grappling that is so different? Cause it's like the dude's a cheat code or something. Yeah, no, um, I don't think he trains with John. Um, he's right. I think he was with the B team guy. Yeah. But it was like, those are all the guys that John trained that are now training this guy. They're kind of, you know, off the tree of his. Yeah, no, he was, he did excellent. Pretty crazy story, you know. I think he's his brother is um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rodriguez. There, uh, man. I'll, I'll the try big, to look it up while you're while you're doing it. I'm not. I need to give the guy some props here. The big guy there. Um, I forget his name now. Oh, Nicky Rod. Nicky yeah. Rod. I believe it's yeah. his brother, younger brother. Okay, gotcha. So it's kind of a similar story, actually, because I think uh, Nicky had a 
you know, pretty impressive showing at ADCC. Not only he's only trained a few months too. So yeah, he got bronze in his first ADCC and he had not been training for very long. Didn't have this, you know, D one wrestling pedigree. He just went in there and smashed. Yeah. So there might be something in the blood there. I don't know. (laughs) But I mean, for, for Donaher, like, it seems like there's a lot of people that just kind of they're like that to where they train for a much shorter period of time. And when you hear John talk about it, he talks about to where it's like, well, we're not going to drill a bunch of stuff. That's not going to work. And I feel like, you know, whenever I was first learning jujitsu, I felt like I was drilling stuff that nobody I saw used uh, on the, on the main stage or even in the room. And I was just like, you know, kind of, why are we doing this? But you don't want to be the white belt speaking up and saying, Hey, should we we be learning this? But it seems like John just doesn't have that compunction. He's just like, we're going to do the stuff that works. Yeah, absolutely. He's very direct with his training. Uh, he's very deliberate with what he teaches. Um, you can tell he's extremely focused when, right before he teaches a class. Um, and I think he likes to meditate on, you know, what he's going to teach and how he's going to teach it. And so when he delivers his, a class, it's clear instruction and uh, very detailed. Um, I seem to... Uh, you know, I, I gravitate towards his his uh, instruction. I, I I learn pretty quickly under him, and I've been able to use his stuff immediately when he shows me something. So, right, yeah, it's been really good. Good to have a guy like that in your corner. So let's get into the first fight of this season. So again, this Friday, your first fight in the welterweight division is going to be against a guy named Brett Cooper. So don't tell us exactly what you plan to do to him, but how do you see that fight? How do you break that down? What are some things that you can tell us that doesn't give away your entire plan? Yeah, I'm just gonna go out there and, and and be myself. I'll see what what uh, what openings arise, but I feel like I'm I'm better than this guy in, in every department. Um, so I'm confident everywhere. If he uh, if he gives me an opening standing, I'm gonna be looking to go for the knockout. But if he, you know, overextends himself and gives me a takedown, I'm gonna go for that too and finish the fight on top. You know, so I'm not putting too much stress and any direction of the fight. I'm just going to go out there and, and, and look for the finish, you know, right. wherever it presents itself. So does it feel better for you, Rory, to go into a fight just flowing as opposed to like, I'm going to do this and then this and this, like, because some fighters are like, no, no, here's the game plan. We're going to stick to the game plan. And if something goes wrong, we have sub game plans for the game plan, but it sounds like you're just going to go in there and flow because of your skill set, And you've been doing this for a very, very long time. Like, do you just like that better? Depends the guy I'm fighting, but generally I think it's smart to have a, a plan of action. Um, but I feel like when I, I, I feel confident enough in every aspect uh, against this opponent, you know, I, I feel like my striking is going to be better. But if I get, if I'm in there and uh, it's, I'm not feeling comfortable for whatever reason, if he's awkward or I don't like the timing, then, you know, I could switch it up. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'm excited to see how it turns out. Obviously, we'll be rooting hard for you, but you're you're fighting in the PFL now, but you have since, you know, and we talked about this a lot on the last podcast, and a lot of guys that know you know this for sure, that you used to fight in the UFC and Bellator. And so those are larger organizations in terms of scale. They've been around a little bit longer, but PFL is on ESPN. And so maybe you have a little bit of a platform boost there. So compare what it's like fighting in the PFL versus the other larger organizations like the UFC or Bellator. What are the differences? What's better? Better, what's worse um you know outside of the fighting it's just more organization you know uh, pfl or sorry ufc is a giant machine with deep 
uh, employees in every department. Everyone knows what they're doing. It's organized and it's a, a smooth running machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find I've fa- I found going to other organizations, even big name organizations, it's a smaller team. Um, people are doing multiple jobs, a little bit more confusion, a lot of more running around. Um, so you got to be a little bit more um, on your toes and, you know, got to adjust with certain things outside of the cage with these promotions. But as far as the fight goes, it's all pretty similar. Um, you know, the back room, locker room, they want their fight footage beforehand you're, as you're warming up and, you know, they call you down. All that's all that stuff seems, you know, the same. Well, and at the end of it, uh, you walk down to a uh, canvas that's surrounded by uh, a cage material, whether it's in a circle or in an octagon, and you're locked in there against another guy, and there's a referee, and they say go. So at the same time, I mean, there's there there's a lot of differences, and then that's kind of the one major similarity. One thing that's also come up when people talk about PFL and one and UFC and Bellator and all that is just fighter pay, how that works, the bonus structure, and all those things. A lot of it came up again when Kayla Harrison decided to stay with the PFL. That was surprising to a lot of people. I think a lot of things changed the moment Juliana Pena beat the brakes off of Amanda Nunes. I mean, Kayla Harrison's right there in the front row, and then she sees maybe her UFC opportunity just disappear. But then she signs with with PFL, and everyone's kind of hating on her, like, oh, you're just going over there to win some easy fights and all those types of things. So Talk to me a little bit about fighter pay because a lot of people are just, they're, they're just destroyed when they find out that this guy's making five and five, right? So five to show five to win. Some guys have better contracts. Some people don't, but you've, you've been around the game for a very long time. You fought with a lot of different organizations and you've, you've had a lot of different negotiations go on. So when you're talking about fighter pay, when you're talking like someone like Kayla making the move that she did, you know, just kind of walk us through that. Yeah. So Kayla's situation, um, I have a feeling that she really wanted to go. Um, I I think it probably came down to contract stuff where PFL probably matched whatever offer she got and she was stuck contractually to stay. Hmm. Um, But the money's a lot better at PFL than anywhere else. So, um, Are you talking about just in general or just because of the, the million dollars at the end of the rainbow if you win? In general. Okay. They're, they're willing to pay more, you know, you know, they'll, they'll step up and pay their fighters. Um, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not certain for Kayla's situation, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that it was probably, she was probably stuck with her contract. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure she, she wants to go and test herself against the, you know, other, you know, top names in the sport, but that's how it goes. At least she's going to be get getting paid for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you can't really hate on her for that. I mean, the thing about it is, is when her career does come to a close, if she finishes her entire career in the PFL, even if she's undefeated, it's going to be really hard to put her in the GOAT conversation just because she didn't have those those types of fights against those big-time fighters. Same thing like when Mighty Mouse was still in the UFC and just destroying everybody. It's like he wasn't fighting a lot of high-caliber dudes, and, like, and he lost to Cejudo and all that. And so you have to take all that into account when you're talking about the best ever. But then you have seen some MMA fighters – either go over into boxing or at least flirt with boxing to get these big paydays. But there's also MMA fighters going over and losing 
to YouTube boxers, right? You had Tyrone Woodley went over and lost to Jake Paul. Like that was an embarrassing thing, I guess, for the MMA community because somehow they saw that as the same thing. But a lot of these MMA fighters are trying to go get these boxing paychecks. Some of them are doing bare knuckle. So what are your thoughts on MMA fighters who spent your entire life trying to be good at a bunch of different things, just going over and doing some form of boxing? Yeah, it's unfortunate that they have to do that to make, you know, any money nowadays it's it's really sad to be honest yeah uh they i think our sport is the you know most demanding you know of any athlete so it sucks that we are still like fighting our way through um you know this this whole financial stuff but we're still young and we're the fighter pay is growing steadily you know it's out there it's just um you know, it's a long road to get there, you know, yeah. you got to be smart. You got to be, you got to fight for it. You got to have some luck and, uh, you know, hopefully in time that changes where it's not just the top five guys or, you know, guys who have made a name for themselves that get paid, but, you know, guys who are in these top organizations, you know, in general. So for you and for a lot of guys, almost everybody that retires from MMA someday has to go and do something else. There's very few people that can just 100%, you know, not work ever again for the rest of their life. And so for you, I know your retirement is so far down the road. It doesn't seem like you're anywhere close to that, but have you and your family given any thought to kind of what you would do? Cause some people just, you know, they open up a gym and they want to train and they want to coach, but other guys, they don't want to coach at all. Like when they're done with the game, they're done with the game. So from your perspective, have you thought about what life would look like after you retire down the road? I think about it all the time. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. what have you been thinking about? What do you, what do you kind of like think whenever you're kind of creating that future life for yourself? Uh, I bounce around all the time. Um, business owner, maybe, um, you know, property owner, you know, real estate, uh, investments, you know, things like that. I'd like to be able to do all those things that interest me. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what's in store. Try to make some moves early on and, you know, learn as I go. Hey, you can get into the crypto game. Apparently they're selling NFT real estate, right? It's not even real real estate. So there's a bunch of crazy stuff you get into, but you got quite a bit of time before you have to make a decision on that. So one thing that's also very interesting, we talked about this a lot in our last interview, is you're a very outspoken Christian and you haven't always been one. And so guys, you know, the the old episode will be in the show notes. So you can listen to that to get more into it. But for you, you're a little bit further away from that kind of, not like a breakdown, but after your one of your Bellator fights against John Fitch didn't really go that well, even though you won. And, you know, you kind of said some things out loud that made people uh, think that you were going to re be retiring. But for you as a Christian, give me an idea as, as of right now, how is your walk whenever you're in the middle of doing all these trainings and you're in the middle of trying to like, you know, overcome last the disappointing season last season? Because I know your Christian faith is a huge part of who you are still. Kind of give me an idea of how that all is progressing because in relative terms you're still a new christian yeah absolutely i, I feel like um my faith is stronger as far as my whole career goes i think for a couple well a few years there i was um unsure about how i felt uh with being a christian uh new you know new father husband uh you know family guy and then, you know, fight, fighting what I've done all my life. It was just all a big mix all of a sudden, you know, and 
becoming a Christian too. Um, just coming to uh, terms with all of that. But uh, I feel like I've found my place in all of it. And um, I'm, I feel very blessed to have a career that I, that I love to do. And I have uh, a skill and a passion for it. I feel like that's from the Lord. And uh, he's, uh, he's given me every opportunity to achieve my dreams. You know, it's just a matter of me uh, being an obedient, uh, you know, believer and, and sticking with God in every circumstance and uh, leaning on him as my rock, you know. So that's, some, that's a lesson that I think the Lord's been trying to teach me for some time. And uh, I think... I think once I get that that uh, that part of it down, I'll, I'll be uh, set up for some good success. You know, is uh, that's what I feel in my heart anyway. Well, and you've gotten into a good groove because I can imagine those are a lot of life changes all at once while doing one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. Again, it, it's probably better for you than being in a cubicle working a, a typical like eight to five job with no vacation and a one hour lunch break. I'm sure you'd rather be, you know, getting punched in the face on yeah, two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, but it's just a little bit different once you do get in that groove with your family, with your coaches and everything else like that. Um, one thing I did want to ask you as well, Rory, is there's one thing from your last interview on this show that I'm asked about almost constantly. Like anyone that talks to me about the interview that I did with you, they always talk about this because in that interview, we talked a lot about the July 11, 2015 fight at UFC 189 that you had against Robbie Lawler. So that was a rematch with him. Top three best fight ever, in my opinion, best welterweight fight of all time that I've ever seen, in my opinion. But then toward the end, of, so we spent a lot of time talking about that fight and kind of what was going on and, you know, the stare down after the fourth round, all that stuff. So go listen to that. You can check it out. But at the end of the interview, <clears throat> I asked you a bunch of random MMA related questions. And one of them was this fantasy matchup. If you could have a fight against anyone in MMA history in their prime, who would it be and why? And I'm thinking you're going to say, you know, maybe Horse Gracie, maybe you're going to say Matt Hughes, you know, something like that. And you answered almost b- b- before I even stopped the question, Robbie Lawler. You wanted Robbie Lawler for a third time. And I asked you and you said, you were basically saying, you got to know that you can beat that guy. You got to know that you can beat that guy on his best day. And I was just, I remember like being almost getting chills hearing that answer because it was such a competitive answer. And you're, you're just sitting there in a studio or sitting there in your, in your room talking to me. So many people have talked to me about that. So I want to kind of revisit that a little bit. Do you still feel that way? If you could fight anybody in the history of MMA, you're you're in your prime, they're in their prime. Is it still Robbie Lawler? Yeah, him and uh, you know I, I fought Douglas Lima a couple times, and they were close fights. Well, not the last one, but uh, he beat me once. I beat him. Uh, I'd like to fight Ray. You know, some, there's some losses where I feel like, you know, I'd like to have the final say. In that matchup, you know, uh, Robbie's an interesting one because uh, I fought him the first time. I felt like I, I did enough to win. It was still very close. Um, and then that that second fight was just just like a wild, wild fight. So, uh, yeah, it probably would be Robbie um, just because of the I know the kind of character he is. I'd say he's my biggest challenge at, at his best. Um, he's just a different breed. I've never fought anybody like him. He's uh, one. You, you get to know someone very personal when you when you're fighting them, hmm. and especially when you fight them multiple times, you start to get a, a real sense of 
you know, their inner, inner animal. And, uh, there's no one like Robbie Lawler I've ever fought. So he's, he's, he's very unique in that way. So you say he's kind of a different breed, very unique, like in, in what way? Because I ran down the list of people that you fought in your career. You fought so many people that people would know. And these are bad dudes. And they have these, you know, reputations for being the baddest dudes in the gym and, and like baddest dude in the octagon or whatever. What is different about Robbie Lawler? Um, uh, there's, there's probably a lot I could say about that. Uh, it's his mindset, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that guy would, would fight to, to his death. You know, he, there's no quitting that guy. Um, but I'll try to put it in. I'll give you an example. Okay. The first fight, the first fight I had with him, I was on top of him. I'm not even sure at what point this fight, uh, what point it was in the fight. Um, but I, I got on top of him and I was in like half guard or something. And I was like elbowing him in the head and ground and pounding him. Like deep, good shots that people would cover up to. And, uh, he, he started like hysterically laughing, like, like as if like, he, uh, like a psychopath, you know, like a psycho, like a psych ward patient or something. And that really like messed with my head, like during the fight. <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it wasn't like a fake laugh. Like he was forcing it. Like it was like, he was l- laughing at me. And uh, I, I'd never forget that. I thought that was just extremely unique. I've never had that happen to me before or after, or even in training. Uh, most people don't react like that. They're usually um, on the defensive um, and like have more of a defeated kind of like urgency about them. And he did not have the energy at all. He was enjoying it the moment and like he there was no anxiety on his behalf so when you're in in a cage fight if for anyone who has never done that competitively there's a lot it's of almost pressure. everybody okay you say that yeah. so casually that's almost everybody on the planet okay well there's there's a, a there's a lot of pressure uh, the lights and the fans add a, a, a very strange element of like uh pressure and uh you know, cameras, you know, the, you know, it's your career. There's just a weird pressure that it's not like a street fight. And, uh, there's anxiety when you get into those positions, uh, especially later in the fight, or if you're tired and you start playing mental, uh, games. Um, and a lot of people, when you have them in those positions that you could break them. So when he reacted like that, it's, that's pretty special. Okay. Well, I'm glad you went into a little bit more detail. I do not remember that from the first fight, but I am automatically going to go back and rewatch that to see if I can find yeah, that see, time. Whenever. I don't know if you even be able to see it, like, cause he's probably trying to block the shots at the same time. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I, I never look, went back to like, see if I could see him laughing, but I, I, it's clear as day. Like I, I remember that and just like his whole vibe and everything. It's Yeah. Well, obviously that's a dream matchup for you. But as I was thinking through this interview, because I'll send you random crap, I'll text it to you. But like, I was like, I want to get your opinion on some dream MMA matchups that will never happen because either people are out of their primes or retired or something like that. So I'm going to throw out some prime dream MMA matchups for you. And I want you to tell me who you think is going to win and why. And then I'll kind of throw it out there as well. So we'll kind of compare notes a little bit. So the first one is a fight that's actually happened. 
but one guy was in his prime and one was not. So who do you think wins in a fight between prime Israel Adesanya and prime Anderson Silva? Um, probably Israel. Okay. So why do you think Izzy? I don't know. He's just, uh, I I like his, his, uh, I like his, uh, his style. He's good. Yeah. As much as I don't like the guy, I'd probably have to say prime Anderson Silva because his championship run, whenever he was in the types of guys he was finishing was outstanding. And Adesanya, I feel like he either has an incredible performance or a really, really boring performance and not really anything in between. Uh, we'll go to the next one here. Prime Fedor versus prime Stipe Miocic. Um, I, I'd probably go with Stipe. Okay. I, I would yeah. too, but uh, why? Because Fedor is kind of like this guy that everybody talks about, like, oh, he's the greatest heavyweight ever. No, I just, I feel like, it's hard to go back in time and, and cause I feel like so many improvements have been made even in the last, like, you know, five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. So these guys skill set, I feel like it's, it's just better. There's so much more added in their toolbox. Like even going back to Anderson and um, Israel, like Anderson's had some boring fights too, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't mean to let him completely off the hook, but during his little run, it was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I just feel like because of these guys, they, they, these, you know, Fedor and Anderson, these guys are great champions. They laid a certain foundation that these younger generation were able to watch and digest it and, and develop and, uh, you know, just get more add more tools and that, you know, mixed martial arts is still so young. It's still evolving and developing. So I feel like these new champions that come in, feel like they are just better. Yeah. They're, they're definitely different. All right. I had a million of these, but I'll ask you two more prime George St. Pierre versus prime Kamara Usman. Yeah. I still think that George would probably win. (laughs) Yeah. George is just like, I, 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 I know that, a lot of people would think that's bias, but I, I really do think he's that good. Um, and he was, he was someone who was uh, before his time, like he was super great. I think he could probably, if he put his mind to it and his heart into it, he would probably come back and be champion now. He's, he's that kind of character. He is a different breed. I, I still think he's the greatest of all time. He's not brought off enough, in my opinion, in the greatest of all time thing, because I like how Kamaru Usman won three or four title fights in a row, and all of a sudden he's being compared to GSP. It's like, GSP won nine title fights in a row, excuse me? Like, can we just wait a second? Two of those title fights for Kamaru were against Jorge Masvidal, who is not a championship caliber fighter. But anyway, we're not going to get into the debate here. Here's my last one, dream matchup, okay? Yeah. Prime Matt Hughes versus prime Rory McDonald. Oh, I would beat him for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why I asked that, it goes to something you already said. Matt Hughes was untouchable for a time period until yeah. GSP came in and, you know, won their second fight or whatever. But y'all do seem like different animals. He was the consensus best welterweight on the oh. planet at the time. And now could he even compete? No, not even. I, I don't think so. He just didn't have enough, uh, didn't have enough tools that like every, like top 10 guys now have to have. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because I was going to ask you this a little bit later. You know, his his heart and, you know, his, you know, grit and, you know, obviously his wrestling and everything, his jujitsu, sick. Like, I I don't mean to disrespect in any way because that guy is a legend. 
more so than I, you know, I've ever made my, like my career. So I have nothing to say disrespectful towards him. I just don't think that generation is at the level that today's is, you know? Right. That's very diplomatic of you, but you know, you, so you won't get in trouble on the internet for that answer. But that's one thing that I've thought about as well. Uh, Yeah. One thing I've thought about as well is a guy like Hoyce Gracie. So Hoyce is considered by some to be the greatest of all time because he was kind of, he was the first champion. You know, he kind of helped introduce jujitsu to everybody, at least on the main stage with the UFC. But would the Hoyce Gracie of that early part of UFC even win a fight at 170 in the UFC today? Because like, Every guy in the top 15 has jujitsu. I mean, they don't have Gracie black belt jujitsu, but they've got jujitsu, but then they've got wrestling and striking and all these other things. Would it, would a guy with that skill set back in that day be able to compete right now? No, no, not at all. So it's what just is much, go ahead. Too change in the, in, 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 in the field, you know, there's just too many tools. Now guys are just too, they're too dynamic. You know, you gotta, you have to respect, those those guys that laid the foundation for our sport and like had the most hardcore rules which was barely any and uh for no pay like they went out there and they're true like martial art warriors so i'm not throwing shade at them i have nothing but respect i'm just saying because of them people took what worked and then you know developed it into what modern day mixed martial arts is today and people are going to continue to do that for the years to come until the growth becomes a little bit slower and slower but um mma is young and it uh has evolved a lot since then yeah I, I it's the same in every sport i mean you'll hear people say oh you know babe ruth played baseball today he would strike out every time it's like well maybe but it's like at his time he was doing stuff that had never been seen before and that's the thing right now is, is you're exactly right there are some names out there right now in mma to where it's like it's it's astonishing the stuff that they're able to do and it looks like nothing we've seen before but it's the, the caliber of athlete and also the skill set is going through the roof whereas 15 years ago there weren't many full-time teams around the United States that you could like literally move and live in a place and train with a bunch of like-minded guys. Whereas that's seemingly everywhere now. And you have a lot of this exclusive style of training. Um, and Rory, I know we're, we're running short on time here, but I did want to ask a couple more questions. I wanted to get your, your viewpoint on the Cain Velasquez situation. So I'm going to be uh, talking about this on a future podcast, or maybe I will have already talked about it by the time this comes out, but obviously he, he was arrested for attempted murder. He chased a guy down that uh, apparently or allegedly had, um, sexually assaulted his daughter. We keep hearing a family member, but I'm pretty sure it was his daughter. He chased this guy for, for miles and miles and miles in the car, runs the car off the road, shoots into the vehicle, doesn't even hit the alleged uh, perpetrator, hits a different guy in the car, the stepfather or something like that. The MMA community is coming out in big time support of Cain Velasquez. And I understand that they respect the guy a lot, but it seems odd to me because of what he did could have killed way more people than just the guy that he was looking to kill. Right. And he, yeah. that's, that's absolutely what he intended to do. So you're the first person that, you know, is actually an MMA fighter that I've talked to about this. So when you heard about the Cain Velasquez situation, and now that we're a couple of months down the road, how do you feel about all that and how everybody's seemingly supporting? Yeah. So outside of anything MMA related, I mean, just looking at, you know, the human being, story behind it you know i try to put myself in those shoes yeah as a father 
and I get it like completely. Uh, I think the legal system is completely screwed up. Uh, Kane should not be in that situation. Uh, that guy should have never walked out of that prison cell. Right. Um, and it's just pathetic that those kind of people are able to walk free. It's disgusting. Um, and he took justice into his own hands. And I'm sure uh, if I was in that situation, the rage and un, like you, the, the emotion would be in so hard to control, um, you know, to, to do it in a different way that wouldn't put him in that situation uh, that where he is now. But I'm sure he was overcome with emotion. And, uh, and uh, he probably, you know, he just felt like that was his moment to get his justice, you know. And if he got that justice, it was, it was probably justice served, you know. Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, an, another guy got hit, but at the same time, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, giving a ride to, you know, a guy who is, you know, touching kids or I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't doing something very, he wasn't doing the right thing. I know I wouldn't be giving a ride home to a pedophile, you know, I let him, I let him stay there outside the jail, you know, where he right. belong. Yeah. I, I feel horrible about the situation. I think, I think it's just terrible. Uh, there's no justice there. It's just back so backwards. It's so sad too, to see a, 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 a family man like that and a family destroyed over a, like a monster, you know, who didn't get his justice. Right. There, there are a lot of things to kind of refer to in that. The one thing that I think is not really getting much consideration in play from a lot of people is that little girl needs her dad right now more than ever. And his because of the decisions that he made, he, he maybe isn't going to be able to be there for her for a very, very long time. And I hate that. Uh, for Kane's family. I hate, I hate that that decision was made, but again, this isn't a podcast about Kane Velasquez. I was just curious because you got people either being completely mum about the situation or, you know, big hashtag free Kane kind of a deal. Um, but Rory, last question of the day for you, obviously you're not only an MMA fighter, you're an MMA fan, but you, you have a different way of looking at fights because you're looking at it with a very trained and unique eye. I'm curious from you, uh, there are certain fighters right now that, you know, seem to kind of burst on the scene, but then when you talk to people behind the scenes, they're like, no, we knew Hamzat Chemaev was going to be a thing and he fights tonight. So he may actually lose. And I sound like an idiot, but these people just like explode on the scene. And then everyone's surprised, but not people that are in the know. Are there fighters right now? And it doesn't matter the organization, PFL, Bellator, UFC, one or any, any sideshows or whatever that, that you feel like is especially talented that within the next three, four years or so, this is going to be kind of a household name, at least in the MMA community. It's hard to say. Um, there's guys in the gym that are just, uh, you know, on a different level. And then some that, and they just can't, they don't compete the same way. So it's hard to say exactly. Um, Kamza is a, a special individual who, you know, he looks like an animal in the gym and he brings it in the fight too. And he's got a big reputation from guys who train with him. So it's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that fight goes. And again, guys, uh, just give you the timing. This is before the latest UFC where he's set to fight Gilbert Burns. And and the thing about this guy is he's seemingly Habib Nurmagomedov, but he talks trash. And so for the UFC, it's like, you know, he he's a big guy, 
He's got a crazy look like he's got the crazy accent. He talks trash to where I was like, you know, Habib didn't really do that. He couldn't really capture the imagination of a lot of people because he's a smaller guy. He doesn't really say much. And, you know, he just goes out there and I'm going to smash. But Hamzat, I mean, this this could be the next rocket ship that the UFC has. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. But, dude, uh, we're, we're out of time. I really appreciate everything that you let us get into on this. I'm so excited uh, for your training camp and for all the changes you've made and for your upcoming fight. Obviously, we wish you the best of luck, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, just uh, check out my fight, May 6th. I'm going out there for the finish, so it's going to be a good show. All right, Rory McDonald, thank you for coming back on Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the return appearance of Rory McDonald on the show. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links I've got for you today. I got a link to Rory McDonald's Instagram account, and then I've also got a link to his first appearance on this show. That was episode 131. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And we want to also thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.